how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and instruct our hearts. Give us soft hearts to hear what you have to say to us especially as we speak about such a a dark topic, about such dark words that we find here in your word, and that these dark words would lead us into the hope that is found in Jesus. So may you lead us into all truth now. We pray in Jesus' name, our Lord. Amen. We're talking today about uh, death which uh, is, is an appropriate topic for us as a congregation. As, as Daniel mentioned earlier in the service, uh, we had the, the first death of one of our members this fall, um, a tragic loss of our beloved Claire Williams, who, um, uh, who went to be with the Lord because of a, a failing liver. Uh, she was two months in the hospital and then died down at the University of Washington. And on the, the one hand, the whole ordeal that we went through as a congregation with Claire uh, was an experience of facing the hard edges of believing in God. Because we we prayed for Claire, um, and and we would uh, see her um, take steps forward, she would do do better, and then uh, she'd have setbacks, and then we'd pray again, and we'd trust God, and we'd plead with him, and, and Claire is... You know, for any of you who knew her, is one of those people who say, if anyone deserves to live, it was Claire. You know, she's kind, she was joyful, she was a kid.
kindergarten teacher, beloved kindergarten teacher, just a vibrant faith. And um, in many ways, it seemed as if the Lord was teaching us, I hear your prayers. I granted some of your prayers. I want you to know that I love you, and I listen to you, and I hear your pleading. But uh, he still took her home. And this is the hard edge of believing and trusting our hearts to God. Is, uh, is death is very real in, in our world and in, in our congregation, in our life. And, you know, um, I was talking with Randy, Randy's Claire's husband, who uh, himself, he's facing lung cancer now. And uh, here we are, I was having lunch with him last week, and, you know, here we are a couple months later, and he's, of course, wrestling with the question, you know, how do I live my life now? This is also very raw. I've lost my wife. And how do you be with people and talk about anything else besides the fact that I just lost my wife? And, you know, who wants to talk about death all the time? You know, people don't want to sit and hear about death all the time. And, uh, and but what I'll tell you is, you know, as I've been walking with Randy for these, this past uh, four or five months, is that the question of death has it's raised so many questions about, you know, what is life about? Um, what's really important to us? I mean, even things like, how should I spend my money? What, what is the truth of the gospel? I mean, how good is the gospel? How important is the gospel? How can we hold on to the gospel in the midst of this? What is important in our life? And which has just made me realize that if you want to have meaningful relationships and you want to talk about meaningful things, you don't want to just stay on the surface in the people that you're talking about, then that is going to mean that you're going to talk about death. You have to talk about it. And to miss talking about death is to miss talking about the gospel. It's to miss talking about who God is and what, who God is, what is like and the depths of who God is, the mystery of who he is. Because if you want to meet God, the Bible tells us the only place that you can meet God is that Jesus dying on a cross. You have to go into the dark depths of death in order to know the bright depths of who God is. And so Ecclesiastes, this morning, uh, forcing us as a congregation to say, this is something you need to face. These are brutal, hard, honest words. Actually, I talked to Randy after the first service, and he said, whoa, when you read that, man, those words, those are honest. But you know, that's how the Bible is. It's not a sugar-coated text, you know, candy-sweet text. It's an honest book about life. And so this morning, this passage teaches us four things about death, and this is what they are. That first, death is a blind man. Second, death is a teacher. Third, death is a thief. And fourth, death is an enemy. Four things. And let me just say before I start, you know, for many of us, thinking about death means different things. And I know for some of you, you may live with like a fear of death. And that's something that, you know, that kind of anxiety that goes with having a fear of death. I'm actually not going to talk that much about this in this sermon. But I do want to say this, that a helpful thing, probably for any kind of anxiety, is the thing that you have anxiety about is to talk about it. What does the Bible say about it? Meditate on what the Bible says about it and have God's truth kind of live inside of you. And so even though we may not address that practical issue this morning, opening your heart to what God has to say uh, could be helpful. So I just want to invite you to do that. So, all right, first, death is a blind man. And you see this here in verse 2. It is the same for all. 
Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, and that the same event happens to all. Now, the same event that happens to all that this passage is talking about is, of course, death. Death is something that we all face, we're all going to have to deal with, and it happens no matter who you are. And it, you know, it lists all different kinds of people, you know, whether you're a good-natured person, you know, whether you're good or evil, or whether you're a social person. You, know, you, you notice that it says, to the clean and the unclean. In the Old Testament, being clean or unclean was kind of a social status, right? If you were unclean, you couldn't be in with the community of God's people, you couldn't touch anyone, you couldn't come into the worship service, and so being clean meant that you were part of the community, so whether you're a social person, or if you're a religious person, right? It says, him who sacrifices, and him who doesn't sacrifice. And so, whether you're good nature, whether you're social, whether you're religious, uh, all of these things are things that we look to to give us a sense of security, and the Bible tells us that death doesn't care about any of them. They do, death doesn't care who we think we are. If you're smart, if you're important, if you have a great family, if you're devout, if you're religious, if you're a kindergarten teacher. Death is a heartless power that will plow through the human race and it doesn't stop for a second to get to know us. It doesn't get to know us. It doesn't try to find out what you're like. It doesn't take any of those things into consideration. What your passions are, what your gifts are, what your love for God is. And it leaves no one unscathed. Now one of the reasons why I I bring this up, we live in a generation that is infatuated with youthfulness. Uh, you know, you see that, that we, we don't respect elderly people. We don't consider elderly people wise. You know, you might see that in workplaces. We, we, far, more and more, we do not consider older people that are in workplaces to know what they're talking about. We don't, in families, we don't respect older people. Oftentimes, it doesn't happen in church do we respect what older people's opinions. And, um, and because we're so obsessed with youth, we are incompetent when it comes to growing old and dying. We don't believe we're going to die. I mean, I, probably some of you, I know I've thought this, you know, whatever sickness is going to come, by the time it, I get it, they'll have a cure for it. I, I'm just, you know, I'm confident of that. They'll have it figured out by then. So I'm not going to have to deal with, with any of that, and we really think that. And therefore, we are not equipped to face death well. We're not prepared for it. And uh, there's a, a book that, that's come out, I, I think it's the last year, it's called On Being Mortal by uh, Atul Gawande. And uh, it's been on the New York Times bestseller list for weeks, I think. And um, basically, the, the, the author is, is a doctor who has found that, you know, in hospitals, in the medical profession, we are so good at fixing people. And we're so uh, fixed on fixing people. And that, you know, whatever the problem is, you know, when a human being comes in, we're going to fix whatever the problem is. And we believe that about the medical field. As they come in, whatever problem we have, you can delay death and you will fix it. And as a result, uh, we don't know how to actually walk with people as they die and know how to, we don't know how to die well ourselves. We don't know how to walk with other people so that they can die well. Because we haven't faced death. We haven't talked about it. And this is what, this is what, uh, what he says. Give us a disease, and we can do something about it. Uh, 
But give us an elderly woman with high blood pressure, arthritic knees, and various other ailments besides, an elderly woman at risk of losing the life she enjoys, and we hardly know what to do and often only make mistakes, uh, make matters worse. Actually, he points out there's very few people in the medical field who go into the study of geriatrics. You know, I mean, very few. It's having more and more classes are being removed from, uh, from medical schools about geriatrics. We don't want to think about how do you get old and die? How do you do that? How do we care for people that are getting old and die? And um, we are not good at it. And the reason is because we have not internalized the truth that death is a blind man who will find out each one of us, and we don't know when. Death is indiscriminate. Now, you may hear that and say, wow, death is a blind man. He doesn't get to know me. He just, he just kills people. You can't, even predict, you can't even predict it. And you might get from that a sense about the world, a kind of a nihilistic sense of the world that is just meaningless. There's no thought behind the world. And yet there's something else that this passage says about death is not only that death is a blind man, but also that uh, death is a teacher. Death also has something to teach us. This goes alongside with the death of the blind man. When you are faced with death, either because you know, someone close to you has died or because you're facing your own mortality, whenever you're confronted with death, it opens your eyes to see things that you didn't see before. And especially things that are present in your life. You stop thinking about the future and you start thinking about what's in front of you right now. And there's a few things that this passage tells us that death as a teacher opens our eyes to. First, this may be a surprising thing, is food. Look at what it says in verse 7. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. And you know, it's very interesting. Actually, I was talking after the first service with Renee Fredette. Renee is a, a family doctor in our church. And she was saying how um, her experience with people who are, who are dying is that when they get to a point where they can't eat anymore and they can't feed themselves and they just have a tube that, that feeds them, that's the point where they say, you know what, I'm done. Just let me go. And actually, the families are the ones that keep them going. And it's, it's interesting. She said, you know, it's striking. Food is an important thing. It's an important thing of life. And um, what death teaches us, I think, is we live in such an amazing and strange world. I mean, think about the act of eating. You know, it seems like it's such a simple thing. You do it all the time. You have breakfast and dinner. And, but you, what you do with food is, you know, you take some, like, milk out of the udders of a cow and you dig up some, you know, potatoes out of the ground and, you know, uh, you, you know some plants and you, you take some rocks like salt and you grind them up and you sprinkle it on there and then you take some metal in a pan and fire and you put it all together. It's like this miniature world. It's like you're taking pieces from the whole world and you have this little world on your plate and then you put it in your mouth and it's like bursting with flavors and then it enables your body to like play and work and be creative and like you begin to trans you eat the world and then you transform the world through eating the world and you, this is like something we do every day and it's this amazing thing and you know uh, G.K. Chesterton is a, is a favorite author of mine and uh, he's fond of saying that we live in something like a fairy world 
It's so strange. You know, there's these trees. I mean, walk through a forest and think, I live in a world where there's trees. They're coming up out of the ground, and you can cut them down and make houses out of them. It's just so strange. And you have eyeballs, and we eat food, and there's flavors, and there's sounds, and there's music. And the whole thing is to realize, you know what? If you had the chance to be transported into some fairy world for a day, you would think, oh, what a thrill to be in this weird world where there's all these different magic and stuff like that. And then and what Chesterton is saying, you know what? You don't get to just live for a day in a fairy world. You get to live a whole life in a fairy world. And so, so many of us, we're just complaining about life is so terrible. And Chesterton says, you should be filled with wonder that even if you even get to live a short life in this strange and beautiful world, it is a huge gift. And being alive is a good thing. Being alive in God's green earth is good green earth is a, is a good thing. And thinking about death gets us from thinking about the future, worrying about the future, and just embracing what's in front of me and just enjoying it and thanking God for it. But, you know, there's another thing right before us that this passage says that death opens our eyes to is not just the simple things like food, these, these good things of, of living in this world, but the second thing is important relationships. Specifically, our family, actually, even more specifically, for you men, death opens your eyes to your wife. This is what it says in verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. This is such an important verse, especially for some of us men. You do not want to be on your deathbed and realize that enjoying your wife was the thing you really wanted to spend your life doing. That's really what I wanted to do. It was more important than success. It was more important than making money. It's important than other people's approval. What I really, the thing that really gave me happiness was to enjoy her. And you do not want to find that out too late. You won't realize that unless you realize your life is short, you only got a little time, and so enjoy her. And I love how it says, enjoy your wife. That's what it, you know, it's not like, you know, love your wife or provide for your wife or protect your wife. It's enjoy your wife. Play with her, talk with her, laugh with her, go on dates with her, make love to her, what, you know, tease her, whatever. Enjoy, have fun. Like, uh, this is um, such a picture. And death is one of the things that teaches us that. And if we are going through months, years of our life, not enjoying our wives, death is the thing that will open your eyes and awaken you, will be your teacher to instruct you in that. But, you know, there's a third thing in here that also says that death opens our eyes to. And, you know, I think the order is important. You know, that first of all, just like being alive, I got to open my eyes to that. And then important relationships. And then the third thing is work. Right? You see that there in verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. This is, you know, a charge. Your time is short. Don't be lazy. Don't waste your life. Take risks. And I think, you know, I think on the one hand, there's an aspect of maybe like whatever your vocation is or whatever job, you, you know, that might be something to think about. But I also think this applies a lot as Christians to our work in God's kingdom. And to say, I have a certain amount of time that God's given me certain gifts and a certain amount of time to, 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 to serve him and to trust him. And, and to say, you know what, with this short life, I'm going I'm to serve the Lord with all my might. And death 
and to say, you know, that's the kind of life I want to spend my life with. Death is the thing that opens our eyes to that. And, you know, I put on, on your sermon page there, I put a, a quote from uh, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, you know, just died recently in, uh, in the past few years. And in 2005, he gave the commencement speech at Stanford. And th- this is what he says. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. And so uh, death is a teacher that points us to the most important things in our life. Why don't we remember that? Why don't we remember those things? Why doesn't death do the teaching for us that it's supposed to do? And... uh, there's something in us that keeps us from learning what death has to teach us. And um, that something, I think, is the belief that death is so far off on the horizon, I really don't need to think about it. You know, that goes back to our infatuation with being young. I'm young. I love young. I'm going to think about being young. And death is somewhere down. I'm sh- I know I've got to face that someday. Um, but I don't really need to think about that right now. But that's why we need to learn a third thing that this passage tells us is that death is a thief. Verse 12, for man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. It says death creeps up on you at a time that you don't know when. It's like a thief that's coming in the night unless, uh, unless that thief Unless you know that that thief is coming, you're not going to be prepared for it. Unless you're aware, you know that the thief is coming and you're alert to that. And, you know, this image of the net, how it says, like, death is like a fish that's swimming in the water. You know, it's like, ooh, I'm swimming in it. got a big ocean. And the net comes and pulls it out. You know, it says, that's what death's like. It suddenly comes upon you. This is an image that Jesus used in his teaching. And some of you might know this parable from uh, uh, Matthew 13, where Jesus says, and again... The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind, and it was, uh, it was full. Uh, when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad, so it will be at the coming of the age. And so Ecclesiastes says, you know, death is kind of like a net, and final judgment, when Jesus comes again and we'll all stand before God and have to give an account for our life, is also like a net. It's because these two things of death and judgment, they kind of go together. And Jesus says, we should live as if we are ready to die. If you knew at your house there was a thief coming in the night, some, at some point in the night, you would stay up, Right, you have the shotgun, you'd be looking out the window, right? You'd be ready for and you'd stay alert. You'd be thinking about the thief coming, you'd be paying attention to it. And that's what it's saying, is that that's that's coming for us. And so we should have an alertness. And you know, um, how do you be alert and prepared? Um, 
you know, one of the things, reading this book on being mortal that I, I mentioned earlier in the sermon, um, that says that we don't know how to die. Um, I've been thinking about this with Randy and Claire, and I think one of the most powerful conversations I had with Randy, um, this was before uh, Claire died, was that he told me that it was his desire and Claire's desire that God would be glorified in them, whatever happened. So that even if they died, that their life is about bringing glory to God. It's an incredibly ama- amazing statement. He's a man with lung cancer and his wife's about to die. And as gut-wrenching and tragic and heartbreaking and painful, how do you walk through that well? That is the answer. To say, whatever I face, as, as, you know, as painful as it is, I believe that God is good. I trust him. I will hold fast to him. I, I will glorify him. And what's amazing to me is I realized in that moment, I realized that maybe one of the most important things that they ever did in their life and that we will ever do in our life is die. Will we glorify God in our death? It's one of the most important periods that we will, that we will all face in, um, in human life. And, you know, Ecclesiastes, as we've been looking over the last few months, is a book that constantly is reminding us that God is sovereign over everything that happens. You know, that uh, there's a time to be born and a time to die. And God, you know, has made everything beautiful in its time. It's, you know, and we might think that death is just something that God kind of hands out all the time. He's just like, you know, handing it out to people, and that's the way, uh, that's just something that he does. And we complain to God, and we say, we don't deserve this. But the Bible is insistent that death is something that is the result of our sinful nature. I think this is an important part as we understand death as Christians. Um, you may have caught this here in verse 3. Look at what it says in verse 3. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. Which says that the reason that we die physically is because uh, that, our physical death is a physical manifestation of our spiritual death. And what that tells us then is that death is the anti-God state. God is life. He is the God of life. And as much as we say that, you know, death is a teacher, I want to glorify God in my death. Um, there's things that, uh, um, death puts my life into perspective. It can often turn me to God. People who don't know God will turn to God in death. All these things that may come from it, we can never lose sight of this fourth thing that we learned from this passage, is that death is an enemy. The Bible is clear that death is the great enemy of God because God is life. And you might say, like, what about death makes it such an enemy of God? What is it about it? And it's interesting what this passage says is that at least one of the great evils of death is that death tells us that God is not good. And, um, you know, there's places in the Bible, like, for example, Romans chapter 1 tells us that if you look at the universe, you can learn that God is wise and powerful. You know, he made the laws of nature, and he must be, I mean, he invented a universe. He must be so powerful. 
And, but if you look at the universe, this is, this is what verse 1 says. Uh, Solomon, or whoever wrote Ecclesiastes, uh, says, but, I laid, but this I laid to heart, examining it all. So he was looking at the universe and trying to understand it. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. And then this is what he says. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. And what this says, you look at the universe, you'll find out that God is powerful and wise. But you're not going to be sure whether God is loving or hateful. Is it love or hate that we're seeing in the universe? Which one is it? Um, and uh, this is uh, Derek Kidner, who's a, a commentator on Ecclesiastes, says, it appears that the things that are supposed to matter most to God make no difference to him. Right? He doesn't, you know, if, if, if people are good or dying and you know, people are evil or you know, staying alive, I thought God cared about morals and people who loved each other and people who glorified him. It doesn't seem like he cares. There's, you know, the people are dying. It's, it, it, it's not taking these things into consideration. And when we face that heartless power, the blindly killing everyone off, that doesn't stop to get to know us. You know, death doesn't ask who you are. It doesn't try to get to know you and love you. We begin to ask, is that what God is like? Is God the heartless, blind thief who's just handing out death and doesn't get to know anyone? And what this passage says is that if you look at nature, you won't get an answer to that. There is only one place where you can get the answer that God is not only powerful and wise, but he is also good and loving. And that is in Jesus Christ. You must look at the person of Jesus. And I'm dead serious on this for two reasons. The first reason is because Jesus himself died. How can I know that God is good when this blind thief is taking away so many precious lives? It is because God himself became a man. And this senselessness of death, you know, the unfairness of death came on God. I mean, if anyone deserved to live, it was Jesus. And he was innocently murdered. He was abandoned. He was left alone. And he died this death at a young age. His, you know, he, he didn't get to, you know, accomplish all these things. You know, he had a short three-year ministry. And so God himself came under the power of death. And so when you ask the question, how can I know that God is good? Well, God is strange. His purposes in this world I can't understand. I don't understand, you know, where he's leading things. But the one thing I can know for sure is that he is good and he is loving because he himself has entered into the senselessness and suffered it. But, you know, it's not just enough that God himself has suffered the death. Because the second thing we learn when we look at Jesus is that Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus' body was raised from the dead. Jesus was so full of life that death could not hold him down. And he defeated death on the third day and has been raised to an indestructible life. I'll tell you what Christians understand Jesus' body being raised from the dead to mean is that Jesus' resurrection was a microcosm. It was like a small little world. It was a foretaste, or a first fruits, is the way the Bible puts it, of what God is going to do in his whole creation. In this world that seems like there's so much death, there's so much suffering, there's so much senselessness, God is going to heal it. The way he healed Jesus, he is going to do to his good green earth. And if you are in Jesus, what God did for Jesus when he raised, not his soul, 
from dead, when he raised his body from the dead to an indestructible life. So that that amazing fairy world that we're like, wow, it would be amazing to live even a short life in that amazing fairy world, he will restore and flood with his presence, and we will live for endless ages in God's presence in our bodies. No more death, no more misery, no more sorrow. That is the hope of the gospel. And you might think, you know, that's so outlandish. Dead bodies coming back to life, indestructible life for endless ages in, the God, in God's presence. I mean, it's just so outlandish. And, you know, uh, I'll tell you, uh, Luke Ferry, Luke Ferry is a, a, a French atheist philosopher who says that what philosophy is, is trying to live your life in light of death, looming death. Like, how do, how do we live life knowing that death is coming? And so he wrote a book about that called A Brief History of Thought, and it surveys all the, the ideas of philosophy throughout history. And in his closing pages of that book, this is what Luke Ferry says. You might object that compared to, Christianity, to the doctrine of Christianity, whose promise of the resurrection of the body means that we shall be reunited with those we love after death. A humanism without metaphysics, that's what he believes in, that's his philosophy, a humanism without metaphysics is small beer. He says, everything compared to Christianity is small beer. I grant you that amongst the available doctrines of salvation, nothing can compete with Christianity. And he says, you know what, the only reason I can't believe it is it's too good to be true. It's too good. What you think is too good to be true? You're telling me that there is a possible ending to this story that we're living in that could be described as too good to be true? There is some ending? And he says, yes, it is. And the only place that that ending exists is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only place. And I'll tell you, if there is a good God in heaven who is loving and powerful, he can give no other possible ending except that one. It can't give any other ending. If there's a good God, it has to be that ending. It has to be resurrection. It's just like every, every story. You say you get to the end of the story, there has to, the, 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 the dead have to come back to life. Life has to win. Love has to win. And the gospel says we know that life wins because it's already happened once in Jesus Christ. And it will happen again for those who belong to him. And so whatever comes, whatever we face, whenever we see the blind thief trample on our lives, we will glorify God in our deaths by holding fast to the resurrected one. Because where else are we going to go? When you face death, where else are you going to go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. Let's pray together. Our Lord, you know our many fears that we face as we meditate on death, our own death, the death of those near to us. We pray that your spirit would give us a vision of that world to come, the inheritance that you have promised to us. We thank you that we can be sure that you are good and loving because Jesus has entered into the senseless darkness of this world but we can also have hope because he has defeated it. May these truths really inform our lives, fill us with joy, 
that we may go out into the world and we would be filled with wonder that we get to live in your beautiful world, that we would um, open our eyes to those who are close to us, that we would do our work and serve you with all of our might. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.